Hey everybody, just wanted to give you a quick heads up that during portions of this interview, there was some tornado sirens that were going off. We've cut around them as best as possible, but they're still there in some parts. So you might hear those from time to time, but this interview is amazing. So please enjoy. Accessibility in the tabletop gaming community is often overlooked. Adding simple changes to your design process can make a huge change in your consumer's life and even broaden your audience. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Jacob Wood about two of his projects, Accessible Gaming Quarterly, an amazing zine that can help you with your game design, and Survival of the Able, a historical post-apocalyptic tabletop role-playing game. Set during the height of the Black Death, you and your friends must survive as a unit, facing undead, ableism, and your own limitations. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am incredibly excited to be joined by Jacob. Jacob, thank you so much for coming onto the show this week. We're going to be talking about some really cool stuff, and I am ecstatic to have you joining me this week. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I really appreciate you bringing me on. I know we actually only recently started talking. David from MetaHuman Rising and House Doc, he got us in contact shortly after his episode, and we've been kind of back and forth about this. I just want to on air publicly apologize for how terrible I am at emailing back. <laughs> it's fine. I'm pretty bad at it myself. So yeah, I do a lot of emails for work, so I'm I'm horrible at responding sometimes too. But I always make sure I prioritize things that are coming up right away so i'll make sure that i get back to anybody who needs to reach out to me <laughs> i try my best but i'm not great at it <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about two really cool projects things that i never really well the first one at least the first the magazine accessible gaming quarterly this is a really cool really cool zine i i love it I had never even considered it. And then we're also going to be talking about Survival of the Able, which is a really unique, really interesting, I guess, post-apocalyptic, historical post-apocalyptic game. And I'm really sure. pumped about that one. It's rad. Yeah, that's one. Um, I hadn't ever framed it as post-apocalyptic before, but now that you mention it, it does kind of fit that feel. <laughs> we'll we'll talk more about why that might be uh, when we get to that. I don't want to jump the gun on it, but yeah, that's a, a really <laughs> apt way to look at it. It's historical post-apocalypse. <laughs> Alternate history. Before we hop into these two projects, though, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Jacob Wood. I am the owner of Accessible Games. Um, I started my company about 12 years ago, and initially I just wanted to review board games and role-playing games with an eye on accessibility, because I personally am legally blind, and I find oh. that it is uh, very difficult to play certain games that I really love um, without either a lot of accommodations or um, without modifying things pretty heavily. I started getting really frustrated around 2011, 2012, when uh, Drive-Thru RPG was really starting to come to its own 
and I was buying a lot of digital books, but I found that a lot of them I couldn't even read on my computer because they were not accessible to my screen reader. Oh. And a screen reader is a type of software that will take text on the screen and read it aloud to you, which is where it gets its name. Mm-hmm. Um, most books, especially at that time, were scanned images of printed pages. And yeah. a screen reader cannot recognize text as an image like it does text that is coded as text. And so I got really frustrated that I was trying to read all of these books with my continuously, uh, progressively decreasing vision. Mm. Um, And I started designing my own games, partly because I love it and I've been doing it and tinkering with game design for years, but partly as a way to learn the tools to teach other people how to do it themselves. So since then, I've published, I don't even know how many games, several different games over the course of the last nine years, um, and have also published some books and guides on how other creators can use accessibility in their own products and how to design PDFs that are screen reader friendly. Um, so my game design is born partly out of my own love for the hobby and my own creative endeavors and partly as a tool to educate others. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where I land with both the zine as a tool for education and creativity and for survival of the able, which again does its own has its own way of doing both of those two things as well. So we're going to actually start with Accessible Gaming Quarterly because that's, I think that's, a little bit of a more bite-sized chunk of what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. And people can kind of get their understandings on what this is. I've thumbed through a little bit of it, and I was, like I said, I really impressed. Prior to starting this podcast, I had never really thought about accessible gaming. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, i kind of guilty. It's now a huge forefront for me when I'm looking at new design games. But up until I think it was Wendigo Workshop who came mm-hmm. in and talked mm-hmm. about their game Archelon Chronicles, it never really was a thing for me. So I think Accessible Gaming Quarterly is a really interesting piece of media that can kind of open more people's eyes to that. Um, so what is Accessible Gaming Quarterly? Accessible Gaming Quarterly is a scene that... Um... I had initially launched about two years ago to bring awareness to people with disabilities and to how they interact with the gaming hobby as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it started, funnily enough, from an offhanded comment that um, Andreas Walters, who is um, the owner of Metal Weave Games, Yes. Uh, he just posted a tweet about how I think something like he would like to see a zine about this from me. And then Kickstarter uh-huh. was running a zine quest, um, which was the first year that I'd heard about zine quest. I think it was their second year. Yeah, I was going to say that was year two. I threw it together in maybe a month and a half, the Kickstarter and the idea and the concept. And it took off. Um, a lot of people really loved it. Um, the Kickstarter was a huge success, so I 
uh, was able to produce four of the quarterly issues for the first year. Okay. Um, ran a campaign for a second year during the next season quest. And now I'm on my third year from this most recent. And so we have eight different issues published to date. We've got another one coming out in July, and we're funded all the way through the end of um, year three, which will kind of capstone in April of next year. Well, first of all, congratulations on successfully funding that. I know that Kickstarter can be a little intimidating for some people to come on and join in, and a lot of people don't explore the space outside of their area of preference yeah <laughs> so it it could be tough i'm i'm really happy that it went through so what is in the contents of an accessible gaming quarterly zine so inside of accessible gaming quarterly you'll find different articles um, essays reviews interviews creative content all written by uh, disabled game designers or disabled uh, game players. You're not necessarily even all designers, come to think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to showcase that um, the different experiences that disabled players have in terms of how we interact with the hobby. And we like to feature game designs from people who have been building more accessible products. We featured a review in the first issue of the zine for a game called Power Outage um, by Go Nerdy LLC. And <laughs> that has some content in it that was written by people who are um, educators for disabled children. Okay. And the game talks a lot about how to run games for disabled kids. Um, but it also is designed for ages um, from young ages all the way up through adulthood oh cool as somebody who enjoys a good pun um, i enjoy just (laughs) reading the game myself as somebody who enjoys a good simplified product for my own children or my own kid um i think it's a great design all around so we wanted to highlight things like that Uh, i don't want to spend my whole conversation with you talking about somebody else's product but (laughs) suffice it to say it's a great game, and one of the reasons that I wanted to feature those types of things in the zine, because there are a lot of people who stand to benefit from hearing about those different types of things. And in a way, it's sort of a quarterly printed slash digitally available blog where we have designers and writers from all walks of life sharing their thoughts. Uh, but it's much more of, I think it provides more detail than a blog could in a lot of ways. We go really deep yeah. into certain conversations. Um, we we highlight things that we wouldn't necessarily say to the entire world at large, even though this is a widely distributed scene and it's available to anybody. I feel like we can be more candid because... Um, it's in what what feels like a more um, accessible setting for readers. Yeah. One of the things, too, that you really wanted to stress when we were talking about was how this is 
designed for all walks of life, not just people who have some sort of accessibility difficulty. You you really wanted to stress that this is genuinely for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just written by disabled people only. It is also written by some of our allies who are people who want to help out, um, who mm-hmm. want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And um, it, it's also targeted to those people who maybe are producing games and need help with um, understanding how um, to make their products more inclusive and more accessible. So the entirety of year two is featured a question and answer section where we solicit questions from uh, people from all walks of life and we answer their candid questions with a um, policy of making sure that nobody feels stupid for asking something that they feel is maybe taboo. Because my very sincere opinion is that we cannot build bridges if we are refusing to talk about the things that impact us the most. You absolutely have to gain buy-in from people to have a good conversation with them. And to do that, you have to not judge them for asking questions. If people come to you with sincerity, then you need to answer them with sincerity. And that's what this scene has been all about. It's Uh really making sure that everything is available and nothing is off the table. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people can learn from. This is a very good place to improve your own game design if this is stuff that you haven't, like me, thought about. For instance, something that I'd really like to do, I'm not sure I'd go about it right now, is Mm -hmm. make a, a slightly more accessible version of this, this podcast got to work on that transcript part but we'll we'll figure it out eventually (laughs) but yeah i i really like the the idea of accessible gaming quarterly i'm glad that it's got its third year of funding and i'm really excited to see where it goes yeah thank you i'm super excited to see the next year yeah it's i think it's only going to grow more and more but let's get into what i'm really excited about uh, to talk about this. Not that I wasn't excited about Accessible Gaming sure. Quarterly. However, I really love Survival of the Able. Can you tell the audience a little bit about this game? Yeah, so Survival of the Able is a apparently post-apocalyptic historical RPG that features disabled characters working together to overcome a zombie plague. Um... The game is set in the year 1347 in Western Europe, which is not coincidentally the time of the Black Plague. Um, (laughs) So we have plague victims who are rising again as zombies. And you, as the characters, are um, disabled people who live in an almshouse, which is a place that is run by the church where... Disabled people were just sent to live out their lives away from the rest of society and yep. not to be burdened or not, not to burden other people. When I was designing the game, I realized that I needed a place for these characters to start from and also to have a reason for them to need to go out into the world and do something great and heroic, even though they're just people who were cast aside from society. 
So that's where the zombies came in. Um, conveniently, zombies eat people, and they show up and eat the people who are taking care of the denizens of the Alms house. It's not a spoiler. You'll find out that in the first act. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, you as a group are faced with the very real problem of having to escape from the almshouse where the zombies have arrived and make your way to safety, whatever and wherever that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, The other convenient thing about a plague is that um, it follows you wherever you go, pretty much, because two-thirds of Europe was wiped out by the Black Death. So it doesn't matter where the characters go, they're going to have to face these things all over the place. But as I like to say, the zombies aren't the real villain of the game. The the real villain is the prejudice and the ableism that you fight all along the way to your freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that you encounter will not treat you super kindly because you are a, a group of disabled characters who are seen oftentimes as a burden who don't need to be there. They're just extra mouths to feed. Yeah. Um, as a game designer and a GM, I take great pains to tell other game masters to really play up the ableism. Um, as as hard as it may seem sometimes, we want to mm-hmm. avoid those sorts of things. Um, but in the context of the game, I wanted people to come away from a session feeling like they understand what it's like to be talked down to. Because unless we've feel uh, uncomfortable ourselves, we're probably not going to make a lot of changes in our lives. Yeah. And so I intentionally designed this game to make people uncomfortable, and that's the other reason why we have zombies, because it conveniently gives me a reason to have a horror game. And (laughs) nobody sits down to a horror game without a sense that they're going to be uncomfortable at some point. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, from what I've seen and what I've read, Survival of the Able does a lot differently than a lot of other games, is that you're really trying to put yourself into that place. And gaming, typically, especially more recently, has been designed to be a safer place to explore Mm -hmm. other topics you don't typically go down this road without very clear cut, like this is what we're doing. So yeah. seeing a seeing a game where this is the core of it is super interesting, especially when we're talking about that these these characters are they're just people. They're not superhumans. Right. Yeah, that is yeah, another one of those reasons why I went with a survival horror type of game. You know, it's never actually been my genre of choice in terms of playing, but it really nailed all of the things that I was trying to accomplish with a game about disabled characters. I wanted to get away from this concept of the super camp. Um, people like Daredevil, yeah. who, you know, they, they're disabled, quote unquote. Um, yep. But they have all of these superpowers to offset any disability that they might have. So it really doesn't mm-hmm. come into play. There are a lot of games that um, 
use hindrances or flaws or drawbacks as a way to show that a character has a disability, and then they get all these superpowers and all of this super tech to treat it as if it was nothing. And that disability just ends up being extra points to put into something else. Yeah. So I specifically designed this game to make sure that didn't happen. Um, There Mm -hmm. is no buying off your disability, and you're not a hero. There is no modern technology to fall back on. Yeah. We don't have civil rights laws. We don't have the Americans with Disabilities Act. We don't even have the modern concept of sign language. Mm -hmm. This predates all of that. So we have things that will make a person feel like they don't have another option except their own ingenuity. And what I've seen from playtesting is that people are very ingenious when they need to be. Um, But they don't have super cool spy gadgets or magic to fall back on. They come up with creative solutions to mobility problems. Um, Things that may not work long term for a real life person, but make a lot of sense in game. And it gets Mm -hmm. people thinking along the lines of how would I adapt to this situation when I don't have a helping hand. And everybody who's played the game has come away from it with nothing but positive things to say about the experience. So I feel from a game designer's perspective, like I've done something right. That's huge. Yeah. And I think you had mentioned kind of when, when people are put in these situations, Mm -hmm. I think something that, and I haven't run this game before, but something that I feel like is a, a huge point for this game is without saying you need to rely on the other party members you need to rely Mm -hmm. on the other party members so i feel like this is a really good game to get cooperation between players yeah Yeah, this is definitely a teamwork kind of game you can't go it alone and ironically enough um when i initially launched the first kickstarter for this game back in 2019 um I had been doing it alone. I had launched the game. Um, I didn't have a big tribe behind me. I didn't have collaborators. And I think I only raised maybe 2500 or so out of an $8,000 goal. Oh, wow. Um, it was a huge flop. Um, <laughs> my only unsuccessful Kickstarter to date was this very game that we're talking about now. Wow. Um, but then Todd Crapper, my layout artist, and also a good friend of mine... Um, he approached me and said, hey, let's let's do this again, but we'll, we'll team up on it. And so we started working on it. And then in March of 2020, a little thing happened um, around yep. the world that made it <laughs> kind of bad timing to launch a game about a plague. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> we, we backburnered that for a couple of years. So Todd and I decided finally in 2021 that it was time to relaunch the game. And we were working together as a team now. And I brought in a team of artists. I had some people who had been writing for Accessible Gaming Quarterly at this point, who I could lean on for their support. And funny enough, that's where the the whole teamwork aspect really came into its own and became part of what the game was about. I mean, it was already 
disabled characters, and as a game, you are already playing as kind of a team, but yeah. there's no point in this game where you would really see somebody want to go off and just be the hero without some really good reason for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody is working alone. Everybody is going to do what they need to together to overcome obstacles because maybe one person can't see and another person can't hear and another person has serious mobility issues. So a lot of times what we'll see is the uh, the blind character who is physically fit will take the lead on exploration. And you wouldn't necessarily expect a blind person to be the one doing that, but they're the ones who are strong enough to to handle it. Yeah. I love how we get creative solutions to problems that um, that would otherwise seem insurmountable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And from every single playtest session that I've had of the game, I've never once seen somebody just be like, you know, I'm just going to go do this thing. We don't have the the lone hero or the rogue who wants to go slink off into a corner. Yeah. Um, and and I've never explicitly said that to any party. They just die. They just, uh, they come to that themselves just by embodying mm-hmm. these characters and playing them. That's great. I think too, that what really lends itself to that system is how you've built out skills specifically using the fudge system, I believe it is, mm-hmm. and traits. Yeah, so I took the fudge system, which is my absolute all-time favorite, blended in a little bit of fate, and completely rewrote everything to make it my own. Um, <laughs> for people who are not familiar with fudge, um, it uses something called the trait ladder to describe character traits on a level of... Um, Anywhere from something like poor, which would be a minus three, to maybe fantastic, which would be a plus five. And you can describe your attributes with either adjectives, poor, fantastic, or numbers, minus three to plus five. And without the original game designer, Stefano Sullivan, ever even considering this as a reason for building the game the way he did, it is the most accessible game by itself that I've ever encountered. Really? I've been, I've played with a lot of people who are not very strong with math. And even the yeah. minus three to plus five, it doesn't seem like a lot, but people can mm-hmm. get very difficult or can get very uh, bogged down by just the math at the gaming table. Yeah. But the adjectives are fine. Like people understand poor is worse than good. Yeah. And so you can roll some dice and say, oh, I got a good result. Or if you are dyslexic or are otherwise have difficulty with text, uh, you can say, I got a plus two. They mean exactly the same thing. Um, the fudge dice are three, or rather six sided dice with three symbols. Each side has, or each die has two blank sides, two minus sides, and two plus sides. Okay. When you roll fudge dice, you can very easily, with your fingers, tell the difference between a minus, a plus, and a blank side. Mm-hmm. So a blind person can roll four fudge dice, touch the tops of them, and know what they rolled without any sided assistance, without any 
digital app reading it out to them. Um, they're just inherently tactile and inherently accessible. And again, I don't think that was ever Stefano Sullivan's intention, um, but it worked. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why I go to Fudge for almost all of my game designs. The other reason is that I wanted to model the fact that disability is a spectrum. Yeah. Um, I am legally blind. I have some sight. So yeah. in terms of this game, I would have poor minus three for my C ability, whereas mm-hmm. somebody who is totally blind would just be non-existent. But somebody might just have, you know, so-so vision. They might have uh, mediocre or average minus one or yeah. zero. Um, and hearing is the same way. Somebody doesn't have to be all deaf. They might be hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. And so the trait letter, the fudge trait letter really helps you describe a person's five senses in terms of the spectrum. And then I went ahead and tacked on kind of traditional skills, navigate, lore, medicine, um, and qualities, which I ripped straight out of Pendragon. Um, Qualities (laughs) (laughs) are two opposing terms that define a character's kind of personality traits. So you might have things like courageous and cowardly, pious or worldly, reckless or cautious. A person can have a sliding scale on those from minus three to plus three, but they can never have minus three cowardly and minus three courageous because those are two opposing qualities. So if you're plus one in courage, or if you're plus one in courageous, you're minus one cowardly. These different... Qualities are to represent how your character views the world and gives you a sense of what types of actions you might take. But they never define who you are in black and white terms. Uh, It's just as much of a spectrum. And so if you really feel like you are in a situation where you need to be courageous, but you maybe are cowardly, you can roll a courage check at your minus two. And if you fail, we give you the option to take some stress damage to ignore the result of your quality roll and do that thing anyway, to represent breaking out of your comfort zone. So maybe I am not courageous, but I need to be right this moment. It is a matter of life or death. But it's stressful for me to take on that sort of courage. So that's where those types of um, different things come into play. And then finally, we have uh, what I call anxieties and assurances, which are further character traits that test your qualities from time to time. It might be something like um, whenever you have more of something than you need, but refuse to give it to somebody else, um, you can make a selfish check. And if you succeed at this selfish check, um, you recover some stress because you got to keep that thing. It was all yours. You didn't have to share. Ha ha. Uh, and that makes you feel good about yourself somehow. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> or if you are generous on the other hand, maybe you have very little of something that you decide to share with somebody else because they need it more than you. That can make you feel less stressed because you feel good about yourself for doing what was right. Mm-hmm. And so these anxieties and assurances are things that make you either feel more stressed or recover your stress to 
or and and they really help kind of define who your character is on a more personal level. So that's the whole kind of roundabout on the character sheet. Um, nothing in the entire game has to do with special powers because again, you are ordinary heroes. In fact, you're just yeah. ordinary people um, who aren't even necessarily doing heroic things. You're just trying to survive. Trying to survive. Yeah. Um, the final thing that I'm really proud of in terms of the um, abilities in the game is the actor react skill. So with the actor react skill, um, it's designed to further drive home that you're not a hero. You've probably never been in a fight in your life. It's to represent your ability to just act and or react to the situation at hand. And we'll use that when fighting zombies. You might pick up a pitchfork and try to swing it at them. But with no real skill in weapons, you're really just acting like any other person with a pitchfork and a zombie would act. Yeah. Or if a zombie is attacking you, you're really just trying to get out of the way in a sense of self-preservation, like you might react. So I... (laughs) That is, again, one of my um, favorite parts of the game design in terms of just the the mechanics of the game. I I feel like Uh it has tailored the experience really to what I wanted it to be. which is to say a game about ordinary people doing ordinary things and maybe encountering some really extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. That sort of circumstance would be basically the exact same situation as if like somebody broke into my room right now and attacked me. Like (laughs) I would, I would probably be reacting to that. Exactly. (laughs) There were a couple of things that, were on the Kickstarter. By the way, audience, go look at the Kickstarter. I know it's done, but holy, the trailer. I I was telling <laughs> Jacob about this earlier. The trailer for Survival of the Able is so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I love it. Um, there were a couple of little things that were talked about on the Kickstarter that... I personally hadn't heard of one of them being vision layers. And this was mm-hmm. for the, I think the game. I don't know what that is. Could you tell me what vision layers are and maybe how they work? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I mentioned earlier was that I got into game design partly to teach other publishers how to make more accessible products. Mm-hmm. I published a guide to Adobe InDesign a while ago um, called the Accessible Guide to RPG Layout. And one of the things that I teach is putting everything on its own PDF layer to be able to toggle things on and off, like get rid of that parchment background. Um, Nobody should be using parchment backgrounds anyway, but if you really have to, put it on its own (laughs) layer so somebody can turn it off. And now somebody with a visual impairment or heck, just a reading disability can get rid of it and it won't be a distraction. Oh. Uh, you can turn off uh, images and get those out of the way so that they're not distracting. So Todd Crapper, who has been doing layout for me for a long time, he does layout for Accessible Gaming Quarterly. Um, uh-huh. He took that a step further and created what he calls vision layers. And this is 
just an implementation of layered PDFs that also adds extra layers of text. So you might have okay. a standard font layer or a dyslexic-friendly font layer, and you can oh, turn okay. those on and off as necessary, all in one PDF. Um, you might have a colorblind filter that turns your colored art into black and white art. So all of this can be done using the layers with Adobe InDesign. You can toggle things. Uh, you can put everything on its own separate layer. And then in a PDF using Adobe Acrobat, you can toggle them on and off. So people with various vision needs can choose the format that works best for them. Um, Todd ran a Kickstarter for vision layers to be able to convert a bunch of additional products. So he has... Like Time Watch from Hovering Press, Capers from Nerdburger Games. Um, okay. He's got a whole lot of different games that he is going to be converting and retrofitting uh, to Vision Layers. Um, Survival of the Able is going to be produced with Vision Layers. Um, and it's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Just the implementation of it is is spectacular. The other thing that we're doing, because we are producing this in, I think, three different font options, we decided to take that a step further and do print products that you can get in those different font options. I think altogether we're going to have 12 different print SKUs. Um, wow. Because <laughs> we found that you can easily turn these things on and off in a PDF, but in a print product, so you have to create different <laughs> different versions for each. So this is how many different PDFs we would have if we separated out all of those different options. And we're going to do that in print. Um, it's going to be an ambitious project, um, but we're going to make it happen. Um, Todd That's is also, so cool. by the way, yeah, uh, also the guy behind the trailer um, for the campaign. It's really, really fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. I... I talked a lot about it before we actually started the recording. I kind of gushed about it. And if you're a bit of like an a audiophile like I am and mm. love really good atmospheric setup and storytelling in like a really simple way, yeah, it catches it perfectly. Like I knew exactly what was going on based on like the sounds, the narrations on point. I, yeah, I can't. He he killed it. He did yeah, such a he, good he job. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> and it got me immediately invested into this. Plus, also, if you can't or don't want to read all the stuff that's in the Kickstarter for it, mm -hmm. it's all attached to that campaign trailer. And Yeah, he went on to read the entire campaign page. Yeah. It was so cool. It was perfect for me, too, who was writing questions as I was listening to it. So instead mm. of having to pause and then read a little bit and then go, I was able to kind of build up this interview. So it was like perfect. And see, that is I a loved it. great testament to what we call universal design. So yes. universal design is a principle that says if something is designed really, really well and with a great intention, it benefits everybody. So what, mm -hmm. what might work really well for people who have certain types of disabilities can also do great things for people who don't. Yeah, and I think that you also managed to capture that with how Survival of the Able is designed. I'm stoked to pick up this game. 
I'm really excited to play it. (laughs) So I had asked you two before this, because we're actually starting to run a little bit low on time here. Sure. We've been going for, well, we've been recording for about 50 minutes, but that tornado is uh, a little threatening. So we're going to have to chop (laughs) some. (laughs) Uh, You have done a number of Kickstarters. You mentioned that yourself. Yeah. For those who aren't experienced with Kickstarter, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with it and some of the things you may have learned over your course of working with them? Yeah, for sure. So I've run seven Kickstarter campaigns. Six of them oh, wow. were successful and two of those were survival of the able. One was not. <laughs> um, so you learn a lot. Survival of the able was my, I think my fourth and my my third and my sixth um Mm -hmm. and i started with kickstarter for a game called cypunk i ran that kickstarter in 2012 so it's been just about a decade ago when kickstarter was still young and fresh um (laughs) i barely managed to be successful in that by the skin of my teeth and the grace of my friends and my family (laughs) because i did not have a big audience uh, for my very first product. And yeah, what I found since then with all of these other campaigns that I've done, um, is that you, you really do need to build that audience, but don't be afraid to put yourself out there if you don't already have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be afraid to set your sights to the bare minimum that you need, even though you want to hit all those stretch goals. You want to feel really good about these high funding goals. We see in the news these hundred thousand or million dollar Kickstarter campaigns. We don't have to be those people to be successful. And if I hadn't succeeded at Disciple on Kickstarter, I may not be talking to you today because I don't know if my company would have continued to last past that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, like I mentioned earlier, is that. Um, you can't always go it alone. Um, Survival of the Able was not a success when I was a solo designer. Um, Accessible Gaming Quarterly has a huge tribe behind it now. Uh, We've got, I don't even recall how many different people have contributed articles and art to the zine now. And every single one of them, when I run a campaign for the next year, um, post about it on their own social media and they say, Hey, come check Mm -hmm. this out. I'm part of this. So Kickstarter, it's, it's really about teamwork. I don't think I've seen many really good, successful Kickstarters that don't have a powerful team behind them. You'll see, you know, this big list of people who've contributed to any given campaign. And you know that that is a huge part of their success. Mm -hmm. So, even though a lot of us game designers are introverts, and I myself am just the most introverted person you might imagine, oh yeah, um, you have to get out there and you have to learn to make connections um, and just put yourself out there, no matter how horrifying it might be. Yeah, um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that my very first interviews were just horrendous i couldn't even talk about myself (laughs) and my games for half an hour um because of how shy and introverted i am yeah i get that (laughs) (laughs) my um 
Uh, so fun story. I don't know if I've ever told this story on air. Oh, well, yours. So when I started scheduled for launch, the first handful of people I had some sort of loose connection with, or I had talked to before, I'm also incredibly introverted, mm. not outgoing whatsoever in, in like my social aspects away from a microphone. Yeah. When I talk to Adela, who was one of my first guests, I think she was the sixth guest. I threw up before the interview because I was oh, so man. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> yeah. But here you are. How many episodes later? It's hard, but you have to put yourself out there. And I think that's really a better... I don't want to toot my own horn, but say a better piece of advice, but it, I think it's probably some of the best advice I can give anybody. I can say that with confidence. Um, no amount of Kickstarter preparation or articles or courses, and trust me, I've done all of it, uh, <laughs> will prepare you to do this by yourself. Um, I have taken Kickstarter design courses um, I participated in Kickstarter discussions and all that did was prepare me to be marginally successful at best with my first couple of campaigns. Nobody ever told me that I needed to build a tribe first. Yeah. Um, people will say, you know, build your brand, find a following, make sure you have followers before you send, do your Kickstarter campaign. That's not the same as building your tribe of people who you are closely connected with and who are going to help you succeed. That's just mm -hmm. people who would like to see you succeed because they have a vested interest in it. They want to see your game, right? Yeah. That's cool. That's good. You need those people. But you really need people who genuinely are interested in your personal growth and success. Yeah. Um. Anybody who's a naysayer can go screw themselves. Um, they don't need to be in your Kickstarter campaign in your life. What no. you need is people who are not just cheerleaders, because we want people who can tell you when you're doing something wrong to you, and you need to be open yeah. to being wrong, and you need to be open to accepting feedback. That was one mm -hmm. of the other hard lessons um, as somebody who never used to be really great at accepting feedback. <laughs> um, you know, I always felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, but learning from others, learning from their mistakes, learning from your own mistakes, um, those things are more important to me than any amount of marketing that you can possibly do for your game. Yeah. I think that's a great little chunk of advice just in general, especially like in regards to Kickstarter. Yeah. Jacob. As somebody who's worked with adding accessibility into their games and such, and this is something I kind of want to see more in mm -hmm. other games, what are some simple things that new designers can do to make their games more accessible for other people? Mm -hmm. Some really basic things are to... And I'm not even going to focus on just the PDF design of it right now because that's kind yeah. of a layout designer's job. But to make sure that when you approach a topic or a concept, you think about how other people are going to interact with it at the table. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that seems like stupid advice because 
aren't we always doing that when we're building our games, right? But there is good math in a game, like building characters uh, in Pathfinder that can take a lot of work. A lot of math goes into a Pathfinder character or Rollmaster character. Yes, it does. And then there's (laughs) bad math in the game, which is doing division at the table while you're rolling dice. Um, Simplify the die mechanics to a point where all you need to do is roll and add what you have on your character sheet. You don't need to dumb it down. It doesn't need to be tailored for a four-year-old. But um, if you have to do math at the table, then you have alienated people who don't do math quickly. Yeah. Um, If you have to do a lot of reading at the table, you've alienated people who don't read well or don't read quickly. Um, Make sure that you aren't relying solely on handouts, um, that you aren't relying solely on visual descriptors. So a lot of things that we talk about in adventure design is you enter a room and you see this thing over here and you see that thing over there and you see this thing over there. Any good piece of GM advice that you can read from even non-disabled game masters is incorporate all of the senses in your design. Yeah. Uh, And that's equally important when looking at your game mechanics, when you're looking at describing how the adventure is going to play and how describing how the mechanics are going to work. Um, And finally, describe things in a way that... um, Describe things with redundancy, I would say. So if you talk about a mechanic one way, make sure you give even a simple example about how that plays out. Because a lot of times we can misinterpret just a a game mechanic. Um, But an example will show us how the designer actually intends it to be played. Mm -hmm. Um, And that by itself um, will help people, disabled and not, understand how to interact with your game yeah um so those are some of the things that i think i would start with and then find a layout artist who is either competent or willing to learn how to design a book that um is screen reader friendly or accessible to everybody check out my guide to rpg layout if you have questions about it as a shameless (laughs) plug there (laughs) oh trust me we're gonna get to the shameless plugs in a second (laughs) (laughs) i know that i've asked you for two different sets of advice there but i always ask this question at the end of Mm -hmm. every episode but what advice can you give to someone looking to design their own game and they have no idea where to begin the first thing that i would recommend would be to throw away everything that you just found on google when you were searching how to design games (laughs) because most of it is trash advice (laughs) and not to put down anybody in particular but um you know i i started writing my own advice articles because i wasn't getting the type of advice that i wanted um i was getting a lot of well you just have to do it you just have to practice you just have to learn what you really need to find is somebody who is willing to put forth the effort to teach you what they know. Um, if that means finding a mentor, um, find a mentor. I've had several. Um, Aloy Lasanta from Third Eye Games, Todd Crapper, um, John Four from Role Playing Tips. I reached out to yep. all of those people on an individual level, and I've had conversations at length with all of them. And 
I wouldn't be where I am today without their knowledge. Um, yeah. You can't learn to design a game in a vacuum. And you, generally, you can't get really good advice from a game design panel, no matter how good some of the panelists might be. You really, It goes back to that teamwork, you know, finding people who are willing to work with you and be your cheerleaders. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to another game designer. This is a small hobby. You don't have to go to Monty Cook and say, hey, will you teach me something? But you can go to somebody like Aloy Santa and be like, hey, will you teach me something? Um, when I very first started out, I felt like Aloy and Third Eye Games were way above my level. He, how would he, somebody like him ever talk to me? Yep. But I reached out to him, and we have been good friends ever since. Um, people in the indie scene are super approachable. So oh, break yeah. out of your shell. Uh, just go talk to somebody. We love to talk about ourselves. Yep. Even the introverts <laughs> among us. <laughs> if you've been doing this long <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, we love to talk about ourselves and our games, and we love to share that advice with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fred Hicks's Evil Hat blog, he had yep. a long-running column called Deadly Fredly where he shared everything he knows. He shared all of the numbers about uh, his sales um, Aloy was doing that for a while. Um, find that type of really nitty gritty design advice. Um, yeah. And then when you have a question about something, you know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this and you're looking for more people, hit that episode list. And literally every single one of those people there has definitely answered questions or is more than willing to answer questions that you got yeah it's great jacob it has been amazing to have you on i've learned so much about both accessible gaming quarterly and survival of the able and just i've learned a lot of new things so first of all thank you for that thank you for having me oh it was it was my pleasure where can people find more about you and all of your work my website is www.accessiblegames.biz. It's .biz. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, at Accessible Games. Um, I'm much more rarely on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash accessiblegamesbiz. Um, I think those are Twitter is where I'm most active. Um, and, of course, on my blog and my website, I've got a lot of game design articles. I did a whole series, not just about layout design, but about Kickstarter publishing. Um, I called that series Game Publishing Lessons. And I have another series of blog articles um, written by different professionals in the gaming industry. So I reached out to editors, layout artists, writers, uh, art directors, and I had them all write guest posts from their perspective about the jobs that they do within the gaming industry so that we can show other people how to do what we're doing. <clears throat> and that's all on my website at accessiblegames.biz. Um, so it's more than just a resource for me to promote my own stuff, even though the, the front page looks more and more like that recently. <laughs> um, but if you look in the back catalog, um, there's a lot of really um, in-depth publisher advice there as well. And, of course, all of my games are listed there, so you can check out all the other things that we've done and haven't even talked about. <laughs> There's a number of them, and I'm very excited to 
dig through them deeper. As always, audience, all those links are going to be down below in the description. Go check out Survival of the Able. Go pick it up. I want to play this game with some of you. Jacob, thank you for coming onto the show. I was so excited to have you here. And audience, Jacob and Survival of the Able and Accessible Gaming Quarterly Year 3, they're scheduled to launch really soon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jacob for coming onto the show this week. I am incredibly grateful for the topics that he covered because they're all points that I have no experience with, really. I'm also really glad that the tornado that those sirens were screeching about didn't sweep him up mid-conversation, as I doubt I would have ever recovered from that. If you look down in the description below, Jacob has also really kindly offered all listeners of Schedule for Launch a free copy of Accessible Gaming Quarterly Volume 1, so go grab that. Please go check out Accessible Gaming Quarterly and Survival of the Able. Both are such unique products that I cannot sing them enough praise. Links for those are down below. Check them out. I know you're going to love them. And thank you for listening, audience. I know that I've had some body uploading recently, but just know that I've done a bunch of recording, so we'll be back to some consistency for a while. If you like the show and you want to hear more, why not give it a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or better yet, just tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way for us to continue to grow here, and we've seen a lot of that recently. Also, let me know what you're working on. I've gotten some really cool stories from people, and things that are coming out, I'm just... I want to hear more. Give me more. Next week, we have two amazing guests on to give us a bit of an invitation to something that they're planning. Weston, Vivian, and I, we can't wait to chat with you next week, so we'll see you then. Till then, though, take care of yourselves. Bye.